the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Here we go! Welcome to Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Live is brought to you by Country Roads Tire and Auto, taking you home with full-service auto care, with a higher level of care, with two locations to proudly serve you in Martinsburg and Hedgesville. Online, too, at CountryRoadsTireOnline.com. Here are your hosts of the 2022 and 2023 WVBA Talk Show of the Year. Jordan Nice Warner and Marcia Kavalik. It is Thursday the 14th, and you're tuned in to Panhandle Live, driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto. I'm broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. I'm Jordan Nice Warner. Alongside me is Marcia Kavalik. Good morning, Marcia. Good morning, Jordan. How are you doing? Oh, we're fighting through adversity today, <laughs> Marcia. Headphones broke on me, snapped at half halfway through uh, the sports show, so. I just kind of have them sitting here facing me so I can still hear everything I need to. But Didn't know your own strength. Or I strength. can use the, I, the like one a, that's broken. Like a 1900s kind of a, telephone lady. Yeah. Or I can put it Operator, on like this. may I take your call? Or I can just do the one side. Yeah, and there I can you look go. like a, You're, may I like take a your 2000s. Order? Or like a truck driver. A lot of truck drivers have the big okay. headsets like these. The yeah, I think you'll make it work. It'll yeah, be we'll fine. See. I kind of like holding it up to my ear like this. It's kind of nice. Yeah, and now not, you're doing it, too, just I, because you see oh, me doing it. Oh, good gracious. <laughs> I am. Well, anyways, uh, Marsha, we have a lot to get to today, a lot of important guests. And the first guest that we'll uh, be talking to, we actually talked to yesterday. Right. It's pre-recorded. U.S. Senator Joe Manchin. We'll just get right into it. Senator Manchin, good morning. How are you doing, sir? Good morning. How are you all? I'm We're doing good. fine. Yeah, thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule to chat with us a little bit here on WPM. Can you all hear me okay? We can. Yes, you sound great. Is this Jordan and Marcia? It sure is. You're okay. you're in Panhandle Live. Both West Virginians, both graduates of West Virginia schools. That's right. That's right. Of course, I started out over at Potomac State. Marcia, yeah. you were down at Concord. Concord. Yep. Yeah. So, Marcia, uh, Marcia Concord's a beautiful little Athens, a beautiful area, isn't it? It sure is, and and I got the best education. It was so small down there, and the professors could really give you a lot of time. Speaking of higher education, since you brought it up, I saw a rumor that uh, that you you uh, have been uh, courted to be the next president of WVU. Can you confirm or deny? Marcia, that's not accurate at all. My main <laughs> concern about WVU is I'm a proud alumni, and I'll do anything I can to help Gordon Gee and his staff and everybody uh, associated with WVU to be as successful as possible and get through some challenging times. That's my commitment. So uh, let's talk about some of the things you've been bringing back to the state. Uh, your uh, press secretary said you got you have brought in more than $154 million uh, with four 2024 funding bills. Well, let me just give you, just in Jefferson County alone, $1.6 billion since 2021. Berkeley County was $2.8 billion, and Morgan County was $394 million. These are all different supported federal supported programs in so many different ways with the with the pandemic and trying to basically get everyone up to speed on internet connectivity all the different things that we know is important is what we've been working on well sir speaking of the eastern panhandle of course we're broadcasting out of martinsburg west virginia and uh this part of the state has boomed in the last decade nick it, it yeah. looks like it's going to continue uh to boom and i'm just curious as to uh, it seems like 
you know, the powers that be in the state are really starting to now uh, really put a keen eye on the Eastern Panhandle. So to you, how important is the Eastern Panhandle and really the overall growth and health of the state? Well, Eastern Panhandle has always been important to me. And I've realized that many, many years ago, and definitely when I was governor, I worked as close as I could with all the development directors and and, and your areas uh, as far as economic development, Procter & Gamble, all the different people that basically have come there, but there are so many uh, and, uh, that have an interest because of the proximity that you are to the nation's capital. And the people want to get out of the high-rent high district, if you will, in uh, Loudoun County, and it's just a natural. And, and so with that, we've got to make sure that the growth we have is sustainable and has the best return for the employees and the pays they're getting and also the quality of life that we still have there. I wanted to ask you, too, about the Inflation Reduction Act. Some of your constituents, not a big fan of the whole idea, but uh, the fact that it's been signed has meant some money has come and some other um, ideas have have come to fruition, like uh, getting uh, prescription drug prices lowered for some of the more vulnerable population. Here's the, You know the thing about it. The Inflation Reduction Act is probably one of the most transformative bills that was ever been done in my lifetime anyway, but the bottom line is what it did. It was for energy security. The United States of America cannot be in the uh, powerhouse that we are. We can't be the, uh, the superpower of the world if you're not secured in your energy supply. And that means you have to be energy independent. That means you use all your oil, gas, and coal that you have in the cleanest fashion and, you know, to uh, be cognizant of our environmental responsibility. But also what that bill does, it invests in new technologies and to be able to mature new technologies so that we'll have cleaner fuels in the future. And it's, it's been basically so misaligned because of the politics of it. And I'll tell you what happened. That bill passed only with Democrats voting for it. And that's, that, that was because of the rules that we have here. And it's the only vehicle that I had to get that energy portion of that bill in. But I can assure you, for over five years, I've worked with and my committee on the Energy Committee with my Republican colleagues and Democrat colleagues to put what I thought the best balanced forward position we could. What else you don't know, that bill paid down $238 billion of debt. And no one even talks about that. The president's never mentioned it. For the first time in 30 years, we took a piece of legislation and took a portion of that revenue and paid down debt. And then when you look at what we were able to do to help 400,000 West Virginians by lowering their prescription drug prices on Medicare, capping insulin at $35. It's just, I mean, it's an unbelievable piece of legislation. And on top of that, look at the different types of energy uh, opportunities we have now. We have Form Energy in Weirton, $760 million investments are making in our state. Berkshire Hathaway, uh, Energy Renewables in Ravenswood, they're making a $300 million investment. That's 200 more jobs. Form Energy 750. We have our next energy in Ravenswood, which is a $22 million investment, 105 jobs. And then we have a new gas fire, what we call a gas fired peaking plant or combined cycle gas fired in Doddridge County, a $3 billion investment. Well, you bring, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you bring it's up. It's, it's just unbelievable. And people just, I would hope that they would just look and accept all the opportunities that are coming. 
Battery factories, you have a lot of interest over in the eastern panhandle on new technologies. And it's because of these bills that we did that's going to give them the incentive to stay in America, but also stay in West Virginia. Well, you bring up energy, and uh, one of those big uh, projects is the pipeline, the energy pipeline uh, over in Summers County. And I know over the years, especially in western Maryland with Pennsylvania and things in the pipeline, uh, it, it receives a lot of backlash, but it looks like the construction is underway. Uh, you were over the tortoise site not too long ago. And so you talked about the jobs and uh, coming into the into the state in terms of energy. I mean, people may not be happy about the energy pipeline, but it certainly is bringing a lot more jobs into the state. It sure is. It has brought a lot of jobs into the state. But the Mountain Valley Pipeline was part of the original deal that we did with the IRA. Um, and on that, uh, on that, how that came about, the pipeline, was we put that in there because it's the only pipeline in America that can bring that amount of, of resources in our country quicker than anything else. So by January of next year, uh, that will be completed in 2 billion cubic feet of uh, natural gas will be going into the northeast market and that is unbelievable it's for our market and for our 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 neighbors in north carolina and virginia and all the way down the coast it's much needed and it'll give us more opportunities to be able to export lng to help our allies around the world this this whole thing came about for one reason one reason only when putin declared war on ukraine and he used energy as a weapon to, for the for Europe to be uh, chastised and, and used against them, and we weren't energy secured at that time when this happened and aren't able to help our allies, and here we are, the superpower of the world, that got me completely concerned and basically moving forward on the piece of legislation that gave us energy security. And let me tell you, what we're doing because of the IRA today, we were, we're producing 4.6 billion barrels of oil this year more than any time in the history of the United States. We're producing 37 trillion cubic feet of gas, more than any time. And we're up to 13.5 billion cubic, uh, billion cubic feet a day of LNG we're producing. We've never done that before. So it has worked along those lines, but because of politics, they've been, it's been misaligned, and this is not right and it's not fair. Everyone should join in and take, I think, take credit for something that's working and all of Europe is concerned now how they're going to compete because all the jobs and investments are coming to the United States of America. Our guest this morning is U.S. Senator Joe Manchin. Obviously, if you, if you look around, gas prices are still pretty high. Yeah. Uh, folks are struggling. The prices at the grocery store are at least 50% more than before the pandemic. Uh, one of the things that is giving seniors uh, a little bit of a, a break is the ability for Medicare to now negotiate prices. Right. Uh, why, why did that take so long? Oh, my goodness. The lobbying efforts that the pharmaceutical giants have is unbelievable, and people were scared to death. I put that in that bill, and I says, well, this is not right, and it's not fair that basically Medicaid can negotiate, the VA can negotiate, the Veterans Administration, but Medicare couldn't. made no sense at all. And then they watered it down to the point we only have 10 drugs right now, but we're trying, like the Dickens, to get an awful lot more. So we're going to complete working, continue to work. We haven't given up, and we're not going to give up. But the bottom line is it's tremendously helpful. It's going to save a tremendous amount of money on these most critical drugs that people need for their quality of life and just maintaining uh, their ability to, to have any quality of life. So we're very much concerned about that. And the $35 cap 
which most uh, manufacturers has, have adhered to, but $35 as far as insulin, life-saving insulin. So I think there's so much good that came from it, but there's just so much to do. The bottom line is we've got to continue to work together. We can't continue to let the politics get as toxic as it has. It's basically driving people apart. It's dividing our country. It just It's not who we are. This is not normal. What you're seeing on television, what you're seeing our leaders and how they're acting, how everyone's accusing somebody else of who's at fault and how bad this person is and how bad that person is and just the villainization and demonizing individuals and trying to destroy them, it's not how we became this country, the greatest country and the greatest economy on earth. And we won't be able to maintain it if we don't get our act together. And our act together would be through civility. And the amount of crime that's going on and people believing that there's not going to be any penalty for the crime, that has got to change. You do crime to society, you're going to pay a price, and you should pay a price. And I don't care whether you're juvenile or not, you're not going to get away with this absolute horrific actions that are being taken that we're seeing live on television and all around the country. People are scared to go and out at night or in their own towns or cities. That's not going to be acceptable, and we've got to change. Border security, you've got to secure the border. Shut the borders down tight, but have a worker visa program. Let me tell you about a worker visa program. Mm-hmm. I've been working diligently with all of the orchards and apple growers and all, the, all of them who are having a hard time getting their crops taken care of and picked, and we're doing everything humanly possible to find the labor. A work visa program would be allow people to come to be able to do the work that we need done, them to make and pay their taxes and make money and help their people back home. There's nothing wrong with that. But we've got to have an immigration policy that works not just for them but for America. And we're not using it now. It's basically been a burden and it can be changed. But they have to come to grips, secure the border. So, so what does securing the border stuff. what does securing the border look like to you? What does that mean sending more personnel down there or uh, creating more I'm sorry. We had a bill, Marshall. We had a bill in 2013 that basically secured the border. We used technology. We used the so-called wall. We used basically all new surveillance and technology. And we had many, many, many more dedicated agents that were there to protect the border. So people know that we're not going to tolerate. Just because you can get one foot on our land and declare asylum is not going to give you a gateway into our country. And we've got to get tough with Mexico on all the things that are happening there and the cartels, the fentanyl that's killing 60,000-plus Americans a year. And we've got to get tough with China that's sending precursors of fentanyl that's making this drug, this deadly drug, which is designed to kill Americans. We have got to get tough, and we've got to get real and understand what the underlying factor is, is to weaken us, taking out our young, our youthful. Well, again, this is what we've got to do. Again, uh, Senator Manchin, thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule to chat with us here on WEPM this morning. I have two real quick questions for you, sure and then we'll let you go. But you mentioned the Mountaineers uh, when we started talking with you this morning. Wanted uh-huh. to ask you how you feel about the Mountaineer football team this year, Neil Brown. And Why are you asking the hard question? And how do you feel about uh, Martinsburg native, Martinsburg High School graduate Hudson, Hudson Clement and his performance uh, this past Saturday? Well, first of all, on the Mountaineers, I'm always, uh, I'm always an, an optimist to think we're going to win every game we play. 
Uh, they're going to have to, you know, I think at the quarterback is skilled uh, position there. We've got to get something clicking there that basically can compete at the highest levels. Uh, with that, the rest of the team has been competing well. I was proud of I saw the performance in Penn State, but we just didn't have the skill sets to get the job done when we should have been able to with the opportunities we had. Uh, I haven't followed the last young man you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I haven't followed that. I've been out of the area for a little while, so tell me a little bit. Well, he uh, was a preferred walk-on uh, from Martinsburg High School, and in the state championship game his senior year, I believe he scored eight touchdowns, maybe six touchdowns in the state championship game. Uh, but he finally got a chance to prove himself against Duquesne last week and ended up having, I think, uh, five or six catches for 170-some yards and three touchdowns. And that performance, oh ultimately, after the game, Neil Brown uh, in the locker room uh, awarded him a scholarship afterwards, which is pretty neat. And that is exactly. We have so many worthy West Virginians, and sometimes they get overlooked. But be able to have the tenacity to stick with it, I know how hard it is. As a walk-on, I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship at WVU way back when, and I saw some of the people come in that had all the talent, but somehow they got overlooked and didn't get that scholarship. Some of them stayed, some of them didn't. But that's a tremendous feat to hang in there and be able to earn that scholarship extremely the hard way. So my hat's off to him. I was out of this. I was out of the area, out of the state completely. So I missed the pit game and could not get it on ESPN Plus where I was. So mm. I wasn't able to see that. But wait, you're a U.S. Right. senator. <laughs> yeah, you don't get a free subscription. Come to that on, stuff? don't uh, no, you know I people? Free, <laughs> I don't get free subscription. They send me to places where I can't even get a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, Senator Manchin, again, thank you for taking a little bit of time out of your schedule to chat with us here on WPM and keep working hard down there. Well, thank you. Congratulations against that young man from Martinsburg. I'm, I'm really proud to see a West Virginia excel such as that. And we've got a lot more gas in the tank left, so tell them to keep going. We're with them. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. Again, that was uh, Marsha and I catching up with Senator Manchin yesterday. Uh, first time talking to him here on Panhandle Live. And, you know, he's such a... Can I say a lightning rod in state politics, uh, Senator Manchin? And it's interesting to get his point of view on some of the things it happening. It really is. But you didn't ask about aliens, so next time. should have asked about the aliens. You should have asked him. I wonder if our next guest is, uh, has any opinion on aliens, we'll Marcia. ask. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to see. They'll be coming up here after the break. I'm on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Taking local stories and sharing them with the four state. This is Panhandle Live. With hosts Jordan Nice Warner and Marsha Kavalik. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building and driven by Country Roads Tyron Auto. I'm Jordan Nice Warner. Alongside me is Marsha Kavalik. If you missed any of our conversation with Senator Joe Manchin, you can listen back to this episode of Panhandle Live and any episode of Panhandle Live a little bit later on on our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. And Marsha, the guests keep on coming in and our next guest in studio. That's right. Martinsburg Police Chief Aaron Gibbons. Welcome back in. Good morning, Marsha. Good morning, Jordan. Thanks Good for morning. Coming in. Good morning. So uh, let's catch up. You know, late last month, there was a, a an online threat directed toward a student, a death threat directed toward a student at North Middle School. Uh, and uh, you guys came out, law enforcement in droves, a lot of partnerships going on there. So uh, walk us through that. Uh, so on the 29th, we received a call um, that there was a Snapchat threat uh, from a student to another student. Now, we didn't have all the information at the time that we actually received the call. And uh, my guys actually get on scene way before I do, um, which is very fortunate for us. Um, when we responded to the scene, the first thing we wanted to do was make sure the school was locked down, make sure there was no active threat inside the school. And what that consists of is getting our eyes on those students. 
So getting all the administrative staff, by the time I showed up, um, we had a little group um, of administrators as well as law enforcement in a room actually coordinating everything that was inside and outside. So once we determined that there wasn't a threat actually inside the school, um, we could take appropriate steps as far as the the color code of what mm-hmm. the school would be locked down, um, how they'd be locked down, and then getting our eyes on the school and figuring out where the threat is at the ex- at the same time. So once we realized that this threat was supposedly a thousand miles away mm-hmm. or pretty far away, now we can start calling other agencies. We figured out that this this kid wasn't just threatening a specific kid in this school; he was threatening other schools. Where it actually entailed from, you know, I can assume that it was possibly some sort of gaming platform. Maybe there was an argument. A lot of that goes on. You know, there's a lot of um, speculation on whether or not we should charge the parents, charge the kid, how we're going to do that. Um, So the federal agencies are on board. Um, Those local agencies from out of state are also on board. So 10 years old, 10 years old, 10 years old. And, you know, that, that question was asked to me a couple of weeks ago, you know, how, how much blame do we put on the parents? And I'm a parent of four kids. You can't put full full blame. I can't watch my kids 100% of the time. There should be some kind of reasonable expectation of that of that parent actually taking control of what that kid's doing online. But um, Well, with it being an online threat like that, I mean, uh, what, what challenges does that create for y'all trying to figure out what the situation is at hand? Because I'm sure you immediately thought that all of this was happening on school property in, inside the walls. But then once you found out, uh, and you were sort of talking about it here, but once you found out that it was a threat from however many miles away and it wasn't directly happening, what are some of the challenges with, you know, those online threats coming involved? This isn't an, an immediate figuring it out. Right. So this actually takes quite some time to actually figure it out. So even though we're speculating, okay, this almost looks like it's a kid that's not even close to here. We're going to make sure that it's not a kid that's close to here. And the way that this kid was, you know, so this kid had actually, there was a picture of the backside of the school. And so we're sitting here looking at this picture going, he's near the school. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's a picture from online. Yeah. So he pulled Jeez. an online picture of the back of the school. So this kid so, is 10 years old. Exactly. So, so then we, so then we are trying to determine, so that's, that's keeping us on lockdown. Okay. Sure. So then once we determine that this is an online picture, so this is, this is over an hour period and we're trying to get this done quick because these kids are still in school. We want to, the parents are starting to group up outside, which was very, I don't blame them. I really don't. They, they started grouping up outside. And so once I went out, you know, school administration, they come out and start addressing the parents who are very heated at the time. They listen, but they, they want to argue. But, you know, seeing a law enforcement come out and actually start addressing. So I went out and started addressing all the parents that showed up, which there were tons of parents mm-hmm. that showed up. Once that see, they see that, I was hoping, and it did, it did help to ease their concern a little bit. Hey, we have the situation under control. We are just finding out that this is possibly not even an in-school threat. But there had been a rumor that there was an maybe a shooter involved. Now, that was one of the big issues that we ran into. These kids were underneath desks, texting their yeah. parents, right? sending messages to their parents. So we had to address that as well. And the easiest way for us to do that was go, we divided up into, into groups and hit every class. Every single class, we had a picture of this kid from the online picture of a Snapchat. Mm-hmm. We went to every single class, got in the doors, spoke to all the students, said, 
relax. This isn't an in-school threat. Actually making contact with those kids was a big, big help. And we, we have to do that in, right. and making sure that all the kids are accounted for. Well, I'll ask you this, uh, with this being, I guess the first threat like this of this school year around, how do you feel that, um, you know, your officers and everybody, the response was for this? So this, well, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be on this side of the administrative coin. You know, you can see exactly how strong your team is. And when something like this happens, well, my administrative staff, as well as my patrol staff, but seeing the collaboration between all the agencies and how quick they came together, when something like this happens, there is no, you don't, if you see a cruiser flying by you at amazing speeds with their lights and sirens going, normally we're responding to calls that could be very familiar to this. Um, and you will see state police, county, city, you'll see federal agencies showing up. It doesn't matter. On duty, off duty, they're showing up. Do you have any um, idea with, and I know you guys don't deal necessarily with the prosecution, but what will happen to this kid? Yeah, that we're we're leaving that to the federal agencies right now because there were so many uh, mm-hmm. places that he had actually targeted. Um, so I haven't really followed up with actually what the prosecution, what they're going to be doing with this kid. But again, he's 10 years old. Right. Right. He mm-hmm. shouldn't even, you know, if, if at this point, if I had 10-year-old kids, I'd be like, you know what? No more phones, no more gaming platforms. If you are on a gaming platform, mm-hmm. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and it could have been very some, something simple like Fortnite or exactly. something like that. So. Yeah. Our guest this morning, Martinsburg Police Chief Aaron Gibbons. Uh, one of the things that you said was a focus when you uh, took on this role was to to get out and talk to folks uh, in the community. And you've been meeting with business owners and folks in downtown. I'd like to I'd like to pride myself on being an active listener. I always have even though I, I may not always stick to that as much as I'd like to, especially being chief now. But, um, you know, having these meetings, I've been recently, especially, I wanted to start having meetings with members of the community, bringing them in, having open houses. So on the uh, second Wednesday of every month, I've been having meetings with community uh, business members. So downtown business members, they come in, we sit and we just talk. And that's what it's for. We talk, they express their concerns. You know, we have so many people that come into the city from out of town. They want it to be a nice breath of fresh air when they come into this town. And how can we make that better, more presentable to everybody? Um, so that's what this discussion is about. You know, how, how do we clean up the downtown? So when somebody does come in, they don't see, you know, trash all over mm-hmm. the place and uh, people laying in the road or something like right. that. Right. So. Well, uh, you're through your first summer, for the most part, as chief of police. How do you think it went? Uh, so far, it's it's been really good. You know, I can't tell you how how proud I am of of my guys, of our guys, um, because we do represent the community. And without that, without that representation, we don't stand for anything. And and it's really a super strong team. I would stand my guys up against anybody. I really would. They're just so smart. Sometimes I sit in a room with my guys, and I'm like. I'm just not as smart as these guys. These guys are blowing my mind. Like they're very creative, very ingenious, um, coming up with wonderful solutions, whether it has to do with, you know, just getting into every single school. Just for example, this is stuff coming from the guys. The guys want to do this. We were doing it last year, you know, walking into the school. So that's another thing I wanted to talk about was when one of the concerns that I see is, a parent will show up at a school and they'll see a police officer there and they immediately get worried. That's 
That's not necessarily the case. We try to get to as many schools in the mornings, throughout the day. You might see a cruiser pull up in front of one of the schools. The officer get out, just start walking through the halls. Like a check-in. Right. We do that quite often, and even more so this year than we did last year. Well, Chief, unfortunately, we are coming up against a uh, break here, a bottom of the hour break, but want to give you some time. If there's anything else you want to let the people know about uh, while we got you here and uh, if they want to get in touch or find information, what they can do for that. Uh, so we, um, of course, your one, your one phone number is pretty easy, I guess. Yeah, the phone knows. number is, yeah, we do have a non-emergency number, 264-2100. You feel free to call that for anything that's not happening currently, for anything that's happened in the, um, you know, any active emergency that's happening, of course, call 911 and we will get um, quick response. One advantage that we have over a lot of the other agencies is we have an extremely fast response time. So, right. um well, perfect. Well, Chief, it's always good to talk with you. Thanks for stopping in, and uh, keep up the good work out there. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. And we'll be back after this on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. From Pawpaw to Harper's Ferry, from Martinsburg to Winchester, it's Panhandle Live with hosts Jordan Nicewarner and Marsha Kavalik. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, driven by Country Roads Tornado, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchhoff. Hoppy Kerchival Building. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Alongside me is Marsha Kavalik. And joining us in studio, local author and historian, Steve French. Steve, good morning. Morning. How's it going? Oh, I'm hanging in there. How you doing? Okay. There's it's a, a boss uh, in. They, yeah, Marsha's <laughs> running in right in the nick of time. But um, it's a big weekend, I yes, would say, uh, in and around the Panhandle area. Because, well, of course, Antietam, the 161st right. anniversary is this weekend. Uh, but you came in today to talk about something that I think... Uh, is pretty interesting because Perky. well, I didn't realize this, that these happened all over the place yeah. like they did. I saw I ran into somebody once a couple of years ago. They showed me this old scrapbook of pictures uh, of this going down downtown Cumberland, Maryland, right. back right. in the day. So what are we talking about? Well, so we're talking about Buffalo Bills Wild West show. And uh, Steve, go Cong- ahead and explain and Congress it. of the Rough Riders of the World. Yes, <laughs> this is the 116th anniversary of one of the biggest spectacular spectacular events that ever happened in Martinsburg, but the Buffalo Bill Wild West show, 50 train cars, 500 people in the cast and set up and take down crew, all sorts of animals. And, uh, I was looking for a show and I remembered, uh, uh, looking, uh, seeing the picture of Buffalo Bill riding to on Queen street in a car waving to the public. And uh, I said, I'm going to look that up. And because really in the past, I probably knew people that when they were seven or eight years yeah. old was at, the, was at this show. 1907. 1907. Mm. Yeah. So but what? I mean, you know, in, they would be, say, if they're seven in 1907, they'd be 77 in 1970 mm. right. some. So you said there's all these train cars. I mean, what was, was he taking the Wild West that everybody thought they knew in their minds and bringing it to yeah. folks on the Just East Coast? Just like the Western movies today. Um, the show would open up with a, um, a, a parade uh, led by Buffalo Bill. To, uh, he had big uh, uh, tent-like structures mm-hmm. all around in a circle, and then, of course, uh, everything was open. He'd lead a parade of all the cast, and then they start off with attacks on wagon trains, the Indians wow. attacking wagon trains, the Indians attacking the stagecoach, uh, marksmanship, one of the best Acts. Now, this was from the Clarksburg paper a couple days later. He was in Martinsburg, Clarksburg, and Charleston. One of the best acts 
was Buffalo Bill, 61 years old, riding at full speed, okay? And there's a man right beside him doing the same thing, and he's throwing glass balls in the air, and Buffalo Bill is shooting them with his pistol. <laughs> now, just, now, if you're out there driving around and you're maybe going down Queen Street, you're in downtown Martinsburg, just picture that happening where your car is. And that's crazy. Yeah. How did he, okay, so this sounds like it's it's happening over a large space. Right. They needed, how, how do they make money? Like, how how do they get, how do they sell tickets? They, no, it, it was a regular show, just it's like just, a circus. It was out of Lambert oh, Field. Oh, okay. And they needed 12 to 15 acres to set up. And they had all set up crews ahead and promotional crews the the, the uh, martinsburg papers are full promotions the strand theater which was downtown near the uh, city hall it was going to have uh, buffalo bill shows starting in august uh, uh, for the kids to watch that was the main thing buffalo bill was promoting boys the american way for boys and uh, hmm. and with this and uh, and it was a cast of characters you had the what was called the Congress of the Rough Riders of the World, and they were expert horsemen from all over Asia, Africa, uh, Latin America, everywhere. They had, um, of course, uh, Native Americans or Indians, all sorts, all sorts of them for the uh, these cowboys, these ropers, and so, so on. So he employed and recruited folks from all these different right. walks of life. Right. They were just back off of a four-year tour of Europe. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that, and that's what really created that boom, that Western yeah. boom that's still happening yeah. over in Europe was the uh, Wild Bill Show. But you said this happened at Lambert Field, so this is pretty much where like the Berkeley 2000 Center is and whatnot? Yeah, it was called Boomtown out in that section then. Wow. wow. It was wide open. There so used how, to be a lot of baseball fields there. Yeah. So how long did, Buff did, uh, did, did he do these Wild Bill shows? He, uh, he had started um, with plays. He was promoted by a guy named Ned Buntline who – back in the 1870s, wrote a lot of dime novels about Buffalo Bill, mm-hmm. uh, true or not. And there was also a guy named Texas Jack who was in Berkeley County a good bit when he was a teenager because he was riding with Jeb Stewart. Yeah. But he was a well-known uh, cattle. Um, uh, he, he drove cattle from Texas. And a lot of these guys, uh, Buffalo Bill and Texas Jack, they worked as private guides for rich people going to Yellowstone to mm-hmm. hunt Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And uh, Buntline got them, said, let's do a, a tour. And they put on a stage show called Scouts of the Plains. Well, they couldn't act at first, but they got better. And uh, the people didn't care whether they act or not. They wanted to see Texas Jack. Oh, while, yeah. And uh, while Bill Hickok was with them some, but he usually drank too much to remember his lines. And, <laughs> so, so what kind of an impact did this have on Martinsburg? Oh, how many people would have been here? Right. Thousands. The Clarksburg, the thing about the Martinsburg show, they reported everything up to that time. They didn't report the show. Why is uh, that? Keith Hammersley, they, it's just in the pa- not in the papers, or we can't find the page it was on. Hmm. And I was looking for it. Jim Drugamar, good researcher, he's looking for it. And Keith Hammersley, of course, he's at the library, and he looked for it. But... The same show is in Clarksburg a couple of days later, right. but there was there there was thousands here, wow. thousands. I can't and even imagine. two shows, one at two, and one at eight. I can't even imagine. I mean, I've been sitting here looking at some pictures, and I've seen ones of uh, the the show going through downtown Cumberland, and then you see ones here uh, in L.A. and out. Yeah. I mean, in uh, Austrian things. It's just crazy <laughs> to think that. Like, I mean, I think you said it perfect. They took the Wild West films and right. brought it to the folks on the East Coast that 
had never seen it before right. or worldwide, which yeah, is worldwide. incredible. It was a big hit, especially in England. Yeah. And uh, sports weren't that important then. Mm-hmm. Town, town ball was, but uh, I doubted too many people in 1907 worried about what the New York Yankees were right. doing. Or right. They'd go down and watch the Senators maybe mm-hmm. on, the, on the train. But, uh, yeah, it's, he packed them in when he, whenever he wow. was here. They had a track sh- uh, crack shot artist, Johnny Baker, they said he he could do almost anything with a pistol or rifle. So how does this get on your radar? Like I, I mean, was looking I, for a show. Okay. I said I want to tell the same stuff over and over. Oh, and I, gotcha. And I remember looking in a uh, one of the Martinsburg picture books from a long time ago, and here he he showed Buffalo Bill riding through town on his way to the performance, and so he has cool. his he has his white uh, buckskins on yeah. and his hat. And he's waving, and on beside him, you have these the Rough Riders. And a couple of days before the uh, the uh, uh, event, he sent in a flyer to the Martinsburg paper, and he told the people not to be disappointed. He wasn't going to parade the whole cast through the town because that was going to wear out his animals too right. much. And, uh, well, it's it's interesting seeing some of the ads that uh, you can find online. I mean, one of them here, uh, I think this was ahead of his trip to Europe. It just says. I am coming, and it's a painting of a uh, of a uh, bison, and then a picture, a headshot of him painted in the middle of the bison, as in Buffalo. One Bill. of the things that really put him in the news. I mean, they already knew, but this is back in 1876. He's on, he's on tour with Texas Jack. The word comes in: Custer has been massacred. They leave the show. They say that's it. We're going to avenge Custer. So oh, wow. Buffalo Bill is sent to the 5th U.S. Cavalry. They put him as chief scout. I think Jack, Texas Jack goes to the 6th U.S. Cavalry. But in one of the first combats against the Indians, Buffalo Bill and a, um, uh, a Chi- Cheyenne named Yellow Hand have a duel out in front of the two huh. armies. Buffalo Bill kills, te- uh, kills Yellow Hand, scalps him, and says first scout for Custer. Wow, and that's he, that puts him. You can't buy right, that kind of PR. No, you can't. <laughs> right in no, the you top. Can't. Well, so, <laughs> speaking of PR, Steve French here with us, a local mm-hmm. author and historian. Are you going to be anywhere the fall that you want to let folks know yeah, about? Hedgesville, um, Hedgesville Library is having an event on the twenty third at ten o'clock, and um, uh, Ronnie Good and uh, a few others will be there. And we're going to do short stories about Hedgesville. I'm going to do one about the first man from Hedgesville to go mm-hmm. to Japan. Oh, nice. <laughs> wow. Well, well, Steve. And, and others. Yeah. As always, we could probably sit here and talk to you about this stuff for hours on end, but unfortunately we have to get to our final break. But thank you for stopping okay. in and uh, telling us a little bit about the uh, the wild history of Buffalo Bill's so cool. Wild yeah. West show when it came to Martinsburg on September 14th of 1907. But we'll be back here in about uh, two and a half minutes, and we'll get to our final guest on Panhandle Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Live and local, it's Panhandle Live. With hosts Jordan Nice Warner and Marsha Kavalik.
Welcome back to Panhandle Live, driven by Country Roads Tired Auto, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. I'm Jordan Icewinner. Alongside me is Marsh Kavalik. If you missed any of our super interesting conversation with local author and historian Steve French about Buffalo Bill's Wild West show when it came to Martinsburg in September 14th of 1907, you can listen back to that a little bit later on today. But Marsha, our next guest has thankfully been very patiently <laughs> waiting online for us. I hope he enjoyed his history lesson on hold. West Virginia Secretary of State Mac Warner joins us. Welcome in. Well, thank you. You all know how to have an exciting show. I mean, the, <laughs> only thing, the only thing better than talking about Buffalo Bill killing Yellowhan in a duel to avenge Custer is to talk West Virginia politics. So. All righty. <laughs> you know, also very much yeah, like a just, battle. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> well, uh, to, uh, I guess September is the time you guys really focus on voter registration. It, it is. I think there's so much excitement about this upcoming 2024 election. We're talking everything from the national level on both sides of the aisle. You know, the, uh, just yesterday, David Ignatius came out with this article in the Washington Post about uh, you know Joe Biden needed to step aside if he had done what he needed to do in stopping Trump and that sort of thing. To then all the drama with Trump and his uh, legal situation. So at the national level, you get into West Virginia, you got a very exciting Senate race. I'm into this exciting governor's race. It's just an exciting time. So what we're in right now is the, the preparation for that. Uh, so September is the voter registration month. And it's important if you want to play in the game next year, you've got to be registered. And that's why we start well in advance, give people advance notice so they can get online and, and register. So they can go to the courthouse, they can register. We're also soliciting, getting people to, to work the polls because there's so much concern about election and election integrity and election security and conspiracy theories and the best way to dispel those is to be a part of the process to be in there inside the polls and watch how it goes down watch how the voting occurs watch how the votes are tallied watch how the uh, chain of custody to get those votes into the county clerk all that process is so important and the best way rather than watching cnn or fox news or the different you know or, or online social media is to be a part of it yourself, and then you can actually say, yes, there were problems, or no, there were no problems at all. Let's stop the conspiracy theories and, and trust the outcome of the elections. And so West Virginia's done a great job of elevating ourselves, and this is with the help of the 55 county clerks to clean up the voter rolls, uh, to have a clean process to report results on election night. That's why West Virginia, you know, we've been asked to go testify in front of Congress as to our successes and what lessons we can share with the rest of the country as to how you make clean, fair elections. So this is the starting, it's almost like the beginning of spring training in a football camp or whatever. There's the excitement, the enthusiasm, who's going to show up, who's going to be on the team, who's going to play, that sort of thing. So it starts right now. We're a year out, you know, eight or ten months from the primary, but a full year from the, the general election. And now's the time to, to go get registered, make sure that you're ready to, to vote. And if you want to be a part of the process, go volunteer to be a poll worker. Well, you mentioned it there, and you've mentioned it on our show when you've uh, joined a few times in the past, uh, about the the trust in the vote, I guess, if you will, from uh, constituents and whatnot. And like you were saying, West Virginia has been on the forefront of uh, a lot of these new technologies and new systems to keep you know, voting that safe and secure thing that we're all so used to. So uh, I know in the past, uh, the last election, I think you guys had new, uh, had new booths or new... Uh, um, like point of contact systems for the for the voting, but are you adding any new technology into the subsequent uh, elections coming up? Well, there's there's two parts to this. One is the the policy, and then there's the process. The actual, you know, you can 
I, I make the analogy of, you know, if you have a daughter and she's going out on a date, you might say you need to be in here at 10 o'clock. That's the policy. But the procedure is, you know, the car breaks down, it runs out of gas, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all those sorts of things. The actual practice is something else. Now, now, what do you do with that? How do you, do you ground her? Do you listen to the excuse and, you know, let it go and that sort of thing? Well, that's what happens with, in elections is you may have a policy, the law that has been written by the legislature, but then the actual implementation of it may be something completely different. And now we have to, to deal with that. Well, to eliminate a lot of those problems. What West Virginia has done is we've got the most advanced, the best equipment in the world for voting, and that's the express vote system. And now, to answer your question, is nearly 100% of the people in West Virginia are using the express vote system. We just, in the last uh, few months, got the last uh, counties to, to bring in the express vote system. And that is an electronic marking device that marks the ballot, but you still have a paper ballot. That's the key there, is that you still have a piece of paper that is voter verified. You get that piece of paper back out of the machine after it's been marked. And, and the machine is equivalent to, say, uh, a kiosk at Sheets where you mark what you want on your sandwich. You want ham or turkey and you want mayonnaise. You don't want pickles. And it spits back out and you see what you ordered. That's the same thing with the ballot. You see who you voted for. You can verify it before you put it into the tabulator. And then the tabulator counts it. So it's very quick. That's why you can get results on election night. But you always have that paper that drops into the ballot box. And if there's any discrepancy during the audit, the mandatory audit after the election, then the paper controls. That's why I say it's the best system uh, in the world, because you have a voter-verified paper trail. Paper always uh, controls if there's a discrepancy. We haven't had any discrepancies in West Virginia between the, the paper ballots and the tabulated ballots. That's why I have high confidence in the system. And, again... Now, pretty much all of West Virginia is using that system. That's why we have high confidence in our elections. Our guest this morning is West Virginia Secretary of State Matt Warner. Over the summer, uh, you, you had a conference with the county clerks of West Virginia over at Canaan Valley, I believe it was. And um, was that a chance for you to kind of uh, make sure that everyone was reading from the same page uh, when election season rolls around? It, it absolutely is. It's a time for training. It's a time for sharing notes, what's working, what's not working. We had 17 new clerks elected in the 2022 election, so that's about a third of our clerks were new. Now, the good thing is, is many of them came from within the office itself, so they weren't brand new to the election process or to the county clerk's office, but they are new clerks. And so as they step up into this position, this was a chance for us to make sure that everybody's aware of any new laws that have been passed, new equipment that's being used, a chance for them to talk with the vendors to get comfortable with uh, who's providing the equipment, all those sorts of things occurred at that conference. And so we feel very comfortable as the uh, administration of elections in West Virginia. We're ready to go. Now it's a time like what we're doing right now on the radio is getting the people prepared, getting them involved in the system to make sure that they know what the process is uh, going forward. September 19th is National Voter Registration Day. Like you said, it, it feels like you're gearing up for a big football game, but that's uh, that's a big part of it, right? It is. That's the, uh, the the whole month is known as Voter Registration Month, but there's a focal point, and that is September 19th. That's this coming Tuesday. We have uh, about 50 uh, voter registration drives going on across the state, and a number, number of them will take place on Tuesday. And something that I'd like to have everybody be aware of, and that is that just last week we crossed over the 100,000 mark, 100,000 high school students that we have registered. And the reason I make that emphasis is 
we want to keep keep people in the state of West Virginia. We all know that keeping our population is one of the challenges uh, for state government and for everybody at large. Why are we educating and training all these people to then ship them out to North Carolina or Colorado or some other state? We want to keep that educated workforce right here. We need those workers. We need those people who are going, those entrepreneurs who are going to create jobs here in West Virginia. Well, what better way to get them feeling a part of the process than get them getting them involved in our elections, getting them registered, getting them voting, and perhaps even running for office. And that all starts with this voter registration emphasis. So that's why we're, uh, and I'm so glad you're having me on so we can talk mm-hmm. to people about this. People understand we've got this unique um, legacy here in West Virginia with encouraging young people to vote. Senator Jennings Randolph was a, from West Virginia was the father of the 26th Amendment that lowered the voting age from 21 to 18. And that was due, he finally got it across the finish line after the Vietnam War, after so many people, 58,000 soldiers, had given up their lives for the country, mm-hmm. many of them never having had that right to vote. So his, his thing was, if you're old enough to fight, you're old enough to, to vote. And so West Virginia, and right up there where you all uh, the, the, uh, where you're broadcasting from, mm-hmm. Hed, you know, Hedgesville, Sarah Blair, the youngest person ever elected in the history of the United States to a state legislature right here from West Virginia. Caleb Hanna, the youngest African-American ever elected to office from right here in West Virginia. So we have this proud legacy, and when you tell high school students that, they're looking around the room saying, well, that's the same age I am. Mm-hmm. You know, we can do this. And so that's why it's so exciting to share this story with people, to talk about it on the radio, to, to let people know be a part of this. West Virginia's got this proud legacy. Be a part of it, and, and it starts with the voter registration process. Again, we're speaking with West Virginia Secretary of State Mac Warner, current West Virginia Secretary of State Mac Warner, and I'm going to ask you a question that uh, would probably deserve an answer that is about 10 minutes long, but I'm going to hold you to about a minute and a half. Uh, but you're running for governor. How is the campaign trail going? It's going great. We've got a number of coalitions, which is where people from around the state, all 55 counties, have agreed that they want me as the next governor. So those are veterans. It's people of prayer. It's women. It's gun owners. Those are the coalitions we've put together. And there's just kind of this groundswell of support, people saying, yes, you're the best qualified. I've got a wonderful wife. We're going to be a wonderful first couple who will live in the governor's mansion. Um, Debbie, my wife, has been in the state legislature, so she understands the legislative process. She has just announced that she's not going to run for the next term because she's going to focus her attention with me on running for governor and being ready to uh, assume that mantle as the first couple of West Virginia. So we want to be that face of West Virginia. We're both born and raised here. Uh, Veterans, she's helped us move uh, 13 times over 23 Hmm. years. She's multi-talented. She's capable of uh, multitasking. And we're just excited for this opportunity to share our uh, experiences from around the globe uh, with and for the people of West Virginia. So it's just an exciting time for the Warner family. Again, speaking with West Virginia Secretary of State, Mac Warner. Sir, thank you for taking a little time to chat with us on Panhandle Live this morning. Always good to be with you all. Thanks so Absolutely. Much. Thank you. And that's West Virginia Secretary of State, Mac Warner, joining us on the line. And, Marsha, we are officially well over our allotted time today. But anything else you want to talk about briefly? Um, no, just Hoppy's up next. He's going to be talking a lot about WVU's Board of Governors. There you go. And if you missed any of the show, you can listen back to it a little bit later on today on our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. Have a good one. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.